Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I'm Jen, and sitting across from me is the indubitable Miss Charlotte Martinez. I like that word. <laughs> not sure where that came from, but I will take it. It was in the brain somewhere. <laughs> Uh, last week, this is part two of our discussion of archetypes. Last week, we talked about the eight basic archetypes, and those were presented by Christopher Vogler in his book, The Writer's Journey. And those are considered basic because every archetype and subcategories of archetypes and any personalities you can think of found in stories sort of fit those eight basic. Indeed. So first, we'll talk about allies, which is a good place to start because allies are our friends. Did what you know would that? we be without our friends? I don't know. I just tried to come <laughs> up with an answer. I didn't have anything. I have a little quote. Make him pay for it. That's from Joanna from The Hunger Games. I picked that for a specific reason, is that allies can also be, they're, I mean, they're not just sidekicks and helpful friends that come to your aid as the hero, but they can also be characters that don't really like you. They can be characters that have a similar goal as you, but don't agree with how you do it. There's a lot of different like variations for the allies. And Joanna is always like such a cool character to me from The Hunger Games. Uh, and she has the same goal as Katniss, but they don't really get along. And I just, I love that so much because it makes you almost bonded. Bonded, like in war, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, so there's a difference between comrade, comrade and thank friend. You. Yeah. <laughs> They're comrades in the same fight, and they don't need to be besties about it, which I love. Cool. You know, I hadn't thought of allies like that before. Mm -hmm. I, when I think ally, I do think close friends who have known each other for a while. So when one ventures into a journey, the other is going to aid them. But you're right. It's actually not always like that. And it's even more fascinating when it's not, because there's all these levels of, I actually don't really like you, but I have the <laughs> same goal as you, so I guess I'll help you. Yeah. So it's, it has everything to do with aid rather than right. bestie. Which is probably like what you would consider networking, right? I mean, there's a lot of backstabbing in networking, but it's not all backstabbing. Right. But that's like getting to know someone because they have a similar goal to you. So first of all, okay, well, for a second, I guess I should say we'll talk about the psychological aspects of allies. They tend to take three forms. One can be the unexpressed or unused parts of our personalities that need to be basically like be brought up to perform an action. Does that make sense? Needing to summon an inner ally. Yeah. When you need to be able to do something that you wouldn't otherwise feel confident or strong enough to do. So that's an inner characteristic of the hero. Yes. Where they can bring up their ally internally. Yeah. And psychologically for us, that that tends to be a good asset to have to be able to call up your inner allies Aww. 
Uh, secondly, they can remind us of our underutilized parts of self and, of course, our friends and relationships that help and support us. So, again, I guess that first part is kind of like similar where it's instead of, you know, necessarily calling up a part of yourself that you are aware of, sometimes you call up a part of yourself that you weren't aware of that can aid you. And then also, of course, friends and, and relationships and family and things like that can be your allies. And then three, allies can also be like the powerful, spiritual, supernatural, whatever you want to call it, forces that bring us strength and messages. For some people, that's going to be something like a god figure. For others, it might be more like pagan-based or nature-based, I should say. Or it can just inner spirituality. That's the third type that we tend to see most of when it comes to real-life allies which is ironic because it's like supernatural which is not necessarily real right but you know what i mean actually joseph campbell kind of talks about that too is that if the hero's journey is part of nature anyway nature deems that this journey is necessary it usually finds a way to help you do that because it knows it's an imbalance as well so it's not even like a an out there concept it's kind of like a scientific concept it's going to happen either way because balance is needed so the aid is going to appear whether you want it or not. <laughs> Damn it, take the aid. <laughs> well, I guess you can deny it. I don't know. There's always heroes that deny the aid. Yeah. And tend to find Which it later, maybe. Are really compelling, too. Yeah. That's a lot of self standing in the way of yourself. Yeah. I'm going to quote. I'm not going to quote. I'm going to discuss a random 90s film in which there's a little boy. He's not that little. It's Jonathan Taylor Thomas, JTT. He is talking about how whenever you call into nature something that you need, nature answers. All you have to do is listen. And so it's him and his stepdad, and they're, like, in the woods being chased by these bad guys, and they stop and listen, and they hear, like, a bee's nest in the forest, and they're like, that's it. Oh my God. That's what we're going to use. And then they use all these elements of nature to to aid them in escaping these, like, bad dudes. It's great. What, the, that movie's a... Uh... Shoot, because it's like them in that little circle wearing the Indian hats. That's kind of like inappropriate. <laughs> well, see, but... <laughs> that makes it sound bad, okay? I can't remember what the film is, though. What is it called? It's great. I mean, it. It. we've talked about this before, but I'm just going to say it does handle using Native people pretty well, considering it's a 90s white person film. Oh, okay. I expected it to be more racist than it was. And they do even mention at one point where they're like making fun of the way that Americans speak as if that they're native, you oh, know, no. and they like comment on it, which I really appreciate because they're like, obviously, they don't actually sound this way. <laughs> but for a fact, we're going to use it. They actually say that in disclaimer the film, cool. which I'm like, yes, this is how you take something and turn it. Otherwise, it'd just be racist. Totally. You totally. Know? So anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> JTT. So allies also are really helpful because they help us do us being heroes help us do really mundane tasks and they also serve the important function of humanizing the hero Ooh. so like samwise comes to mind because he's such a like strong wonderful ally he's the one that's watching how much food they have and portioning it as well as the one that's like reminding frodo uh, when he's going too far towards the dark side. That's mixing my metaphors, but... <laughs> okay, we get it, we get it. I just feel like... I mean, you know Lord of the Rings. You tell me. I love him because he's the example of the selfless caretaker, best friend. He would sacrifice himself. I mean, that's like 
ultimate ally. And a lot of allies usually don't reach that degree. Mm. Yeah, I guess that is like another category. Because I was going to say that's what humanizes him, but it's not. That's more like motivation when Mm. he's down, which we'll talk about more in another example as well. They also introduce us to the unfamiliar world of the hero. Not only of the hero, but of us as the audience. They're really good at being our guides and answering questions by asking them, by investigating, or by making mistakes in the new world. Ah, I totally <laughs> forgot about that function. Which is really helpful. I mean, again, it's, it's sort of similar to a herald in terms of the relation to the audience. Yeah. It's there for us mainly. Yeah, they ask our questions. Right. Ooh, which makes Jacob Lukowski? Oh. Uh, Fantastic Beats? Oh, uh-huh. What's his last name? Kowalski. Kowalski. <laughs> that makes him our perfect eyes yeah. into the magical world, right? Good on-the-spot example. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we talked about him before. Yeah, he's perfect. Because, I mean, I know a lot of us already know the Harry Potter universe, but let's say we didn't. And we just got introduced to it via Fantastic Beasts. Totally. And he's like the only muggle that we actually like follow. And he's asking all the right questions and reacting the way we would react. So we know what totally. we need to know about the new world. And I would argue that he's a great ally on top of that because he finds joy in the new world. Yeah. Whereas I think it'd be really easy to, for it to be scary and like timid. He just kind of like takes it all and goes with it. Which is why we love him. (laughs) Perfect ally. Perfect. I mean, that's pretty much what we would call an audience character, just generally speaking, which is, as we just discussed, really important, especially if you're like getting in really far into fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, like Harry Potter, like Fantastic Beasts. These are ones that you really do kind of need a guide, even if you have seen it before. Because it reminds you of some of the law changes of the world. And of course, allies can be sidekicks, spirits, animals, servants. One of the things I noticed, this is just a sidebar because I can't help myself. One of the things I noticed was that there are very few films with with female heroes who have male sidekicks. Oh, shoot. Um, But a lot of them, a lot of them tend to have animal sidekicks. Because, you know, you got to go lower on the totem pole, apparently. Oh, my God. But, but not all. Not all. Like, one of the examples I thought of was Xena. Uh, at one point, they have, like, a little dude that's kind of spunky, and he's kind of their, like, sidekick for a while. But then he goes away. But, you know, you see a lot of Disney. There's a lot of animal guides. and it's It's less common to see a male sidekick to a female main character, but I think that's probably because there's less female characters. Oh, yeah. And when they are written, they're not necessarily written by women who might introduce that concept. You know what I mean? Not that there isn't at all, but I wish there were more. Or even if they do, they tend to function the male partner later as a romance or... Like PETA? Yeah, so even when it's they're trying, or well, quote-unquote trying to switch it up a little bit they still cheat and are like well we don't want you to like mistake who's in power here so let's just call that a romance and be done yeah it's too bad yeah it is it's too bad that will change one day as long as we keep fighting allies also come in the form of not only internal forces but external forces but meaning not necessarily characters I mean, they're characters in their own right, but allies can be, like we were talking about nature, you know, they can be things that are not necessarily with a face (laughs) that come to your aid recurringly. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, those are like symbols, actions. Um, but the main point is that allies are basically any characters who do something for the hero that aids in their journey. And they, do, like, I get, like we said, they don't even have to like the hero, but they've provided some sort of aid, which is awesome. The other example I had was um, Hermione and Ron, right? They're both allies that have multiple masks that they wear at different times. Super useful, super skilled. Mm-hmm. They are even more interesting than our hero. It's true. <laughs> and we have like, you know, the the know-it-all one. And then we have the like comedy relief one. And then occasionally they switch. Very occasionally. <laughs> I mean, one more than the other. Right. But I think it's pretty pretty easy to tell who allies are. But let's talk about Wonder Woman and Field of Dreams. As a reminder, we took two movie examples so we can talk about some of the archetypes in these movies. The first is our classic example, Wonder Woman, the newest version. And we say it's classical because it follows more of the traditional mythology, especially from Greek myth. You'll hear us quote the Odyssey a little bit because that's where they get all the classic examples of our archetypes. You make us sound so smart. <laughs> we quote the Odyssey. Okay, I, I quote the Odyssey because Christopher Vogler quotes the Odyssey. It's not me. I'm not doing it. We don't want people to think we're too smart. No, not at all. We just read, okay? And then our contemporary example is Field of Dreams. Yeah. It's a magical realism film. And we call it contemporary because a lot of the archetypes are a bit in the gray area. Like there's some changes of roles. There's multiple roles and roles that shift many times and then back again and then not back again. It's good. It's a great example. So let's talk about the classical one first. Um, Wonder Woman, if you haven't seen it, go see it. This is like the eighth time I've had to say that. (laughs) not saying it again. (laughs) I will continue saying it until everybody has heard me say it. There's a list, of course. I mean, I think if you've seen it, you have a good idea of who the allies would be. In the beginning, it's the aunt who's the general as well. And I can never say her name correctly. Do you remember? Antea P. Yeah, that's never going to happen. I keep wanting to call it antiope. <laughs> kind of like antelope, right? Basically. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Um, the mother figure, whose name is... Oh, another name I cannot say. I want to call her... I usually want to call her Hippopotamus, but that is not oh, her name. Uh, Hippolyta. There you go. Those are the two early ones. Would you agree? Those are good allies. Absolutely. And then we have Steve Trevor, of course, who shows up uh, and his assistant at a candy and who's a nice little comedic relief and is also a little bit of a audience character. She kind of asks the question asks the questions and like is sort of quote the straight man she sort of highlights that some of this is ridiculous and that's really fun to watch and to be like yeah it totally is it allows you to like get into it as opposed to being like pulled out of it yeah that's usually the function of a comic relief too and she's a recurring character in the comic books i mean she's been around wonder woman for as long as wonder woman's been around almost yeah girl And then there's Charlie the Murderer, who's the sniper dude. Oh, yeah. Scott. Scottish. Mm-hmm. And Samir the Liar. He's the actor. I think he's um, Persian. Or... Oh. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Something in that general vicinity. And then there's the chief, who's the smuggler native. That's his. He doesn't have a name. That's his name. His character name is Chief. 
Oh, yeah, because that's all they call him. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I don't know how I feel about that, but that's a sidebar. <laughs> Those are the main allies that I could think of. I'm sure there's a lot more and a lot, like, different kinds of – did you have any others that you could add to that list? No, actually, the those the three the last three you listed were in my mind the most reoccurring allies in Wonder Woman, just because they function in most of the action with Wonder Woman, and because they tend to stick to the ally role most of the time. I was gonna say, yeah, so that's why Steve is not necessarily in that role. Totally. I mean, he is, but he's not. <laughs> and because they're so interesting, I tell you, sometimes the allies steal the spotlight because they're so unique. And they surprise you, especially these three. I mean, casting different ethnicities, for example. Yeah. They all have something so wise to share at some point in the movie where you're just like, oh, my God. And they're all judged, right? They're all like societies under forgotten, pushed away because they all, you know, like I love that line Samir says about, you know, I'm an actor, but because of my face, I can't be. I'm the wrong color. I'm the wrong color. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow. Wow. I know, I know. They're all so profound. Yeah. I was reading something the other day, an article about writing, and it said something along the lines of you should know your allies as well as your heroes, but to keep in mind that they are in their own stories, that they are the leads of their own stories. And so it kind of gives me like a happy feeling to think about each of these characters having their own stories that you could watch from their perspective. And they're the heroes. And they're the heroes. Yeah. And who are their allies? And it's each other to some degree, but what else is there? That is excellent advice on yeah. how to write your ally. Write them as their own heroes in their own stories. Exactly. Oh, perfect. And that's not necessarily be, like meaning they're good, right? It's just that they're the, quote, heroes. In the contemporary version, that's Field of Dreams, we have quite a few allies as well. Terrence Mann is one of the allies, of course. He's also a main character and a hero in part of the story. But he's also a really good ally for the players as well as for Ray. I thought the daughter was a good ally because she's a kid ally, which you don't always... I mean, I guess it's it's not... Yeah, I thought it was unique. She's always saying the right thing when the parents need to hear it because the parents are thinking that they're crazy sometimes. And right. she jumps in and is like, no, I, I see the players. Yeah, yeah, you go do your thing, obviously. <laughs> you know, She never doubts them. And that's a great ally to have. Uh, yeah, and she's not... It, she never... Yeah, whatever she says is very matter of fact and she doesn't say a whole lot so it's not like she's a little child who's just like talking non-stop like when she speaks you're like oh yeah damn that's that's true (laughs) which i thought was kind of nice because you don't get to see that always with with younger especially i was glad they picked a daughter as well i thought that was kind of nice and in a baseball movie i would assume they'd pick a boy oh my gosh i didn't even consider that but i wonder if part of that was because they didn't want to take i don't know i don't know but i i liked it me too and then my favorite ally who I saved for last is Annie, who is the wife of Ray. She's an ally for Ray, but she's also for us. She's our audience character in a lot of ways. Uh, she's comedic. She has a lot of like funny things that she does. She spars with him, which is another trait of the ally that's like the harder ally, I guess. Like they, they challenge you kind of ally. 
Um, she's a companion and she's really like conscientious of everything that's going on. But I like that she per- that she is the one that occasionally, it's not even like a whole lot, but occasionally is like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about this whole thing. And then they'll like talk about something that happened and she's like, okay, yeah, you, you got to go do your thing. You're right. The audience character, because we as the audience, if they just said yes to everything, that's too easy. Somebody has to say no or ask the question because there needs to be a pause and we need to consider what's next or else it's just too easy. And unrealistic, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. You don't want it to be unrealistic. I I honestly thought she was more supportive than I expected her to be because that does sound like a crazy thing to say. And he's like right at that age when men have like midlife crisis. You know what I mean? Like it, I wouldn't be surprised if she was like, oh, God, but she doesn't do that. And I think that plays into the magical realism aspect because they kind of want to get to the meat of things. But it still works. It's and still it's, I think it's also the writing because their setup and her acting is, I guess it's a combination because they set her up as a spunky, you know, I'm from the 60s. I, <laughs> I rebel against things and she's, she's, you know, she goes against the grain and we understand that. So when she accepts things, it's like, oh, yeah, because you are that person. That's true. That's true. It's a good point. It's within her character. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's good on the actor and on the writing. Totally. Do you have any other examples of, of allies that stick out for you? Those are mine. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Check allies. If you think of any allies, you can share that with us and we can disagree with you or agree with you. I like that I go to disagree first. <laughs> we're going to disagree with you. <laughs> and then we're going on to the next archetype, which is all you. Oh, I thought you were going to name what it was. <laughs> I wanted to like, leave that up to you. I was building the tension. <laughs> I was like, here it comes. It could be this thing right now that she's about to say. What's the next archetype? <laughs> I'll give you all five seconds to guess. Oh, my no, God. <laughs> this one is a bit elusive oh and boy. strange. And you could all disagree with me, but I'm going <laughs> off of what Christopher Vogler is saying. So She's pointing at the book shapeshifter i used to think i knew what it was but then i read his description and there was a whole other new concept that came up Hmm. so we'll talk about that right now i was just gonna say yeah from like a paranormal fan point of view shapeshifter brings up a very specific image so it is curious to hear what like the archetype of the shapeshifter is yeah and i bet you i won't even get to every concept of it because there's so much on it and there's so many interpretations of it But I I guess this is coming from a place of dramatic story. The classic example, again, from the Odyssey, they use the god Proteus, which is where we get our term Protean, is like shapeshifter or changing forms. or. I believe it's pronounced Protozoa. Protozoa. Uh You mean the rocker dude with the spiky hair? Yes. (laughs) Zoom, zoom, zoom guy, that guy? (laughs) Yeah, you can picture him when I say Proteus the god. Great. That's an interesting image. Because in the Odyssey, he is the ancient one of the sea Mm. or the soothsayer. And even though I haven't read the Odyssey in a long time, apparently what happens is the hero captures Proteus. When they have him in their grasp, he starts changing shape. He'll like change Mm. it to different animals to try to escape. Like Maui. Oh my god, like Maui! (laughs) Exactly! Maui is the contemporary example of Proteus. Totally. And he's like a liar. Duh. (laughs) How did I not connect that? Dude, I listened to Moana soundtrack this morning. That is so stupid. (laughs) How did I not connect that? 
Anyway, what was I saying? It's easier when you're not actually looking at the material. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Picture Maui when I'm saying this. <laughs> so finally, they they hold him so long that he has to give up and reveal his true shape. And that, according to Vogler, is the essence of the shapeshifter, is that the hero needs to work on revealing true identity of the shapeshifter in cool. order to get information. And there's, I guess, two ways of thinking about the shapeshifter, which is they like, can physically shapeshift. Mm-hmm. Somebody like Odo from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, he's literally a shapeshifter. He doesn't actually have a true form, and the form he usually takes is is one that he's picked in order to keep everybody comfortable, right? Right. Another one is Mystique from the X-Men, constantly changing physical shape. That's J-Law's character? Yeah, exactly. And then there's the the psychological definition, which is the one who changes personalities a lot. Mm. And in both cases, the character who is the shapeshifter tends to not know who they are internally because Mm. they shapeshift so often. Hence the tragedy of the shapeshifter. Is it like a self-protecting? Absolutely. Okay. And that's why they're they're very deceitful. They're very unstable. Hmm. Generally, we don't know where their loyalties lie because if you don't know your own self-identity, you're definitely not going to know what they think about other characters, right? Right. So we tend to know them as deceitful characters until the hero or other characters can bring out their true identity somehow or not at all sometimes they just remain shapeshifters and that's how they survive so options here so their dramatic function they bring about doubt and suspense because we don't know where their loyalties lie they tell lies in order to protect themselves a lot of those characters tend to be spies black widow for example she finally like is like who the heck am i lying for now (laughs) i think one of the movies she even says that she's like i think i tell so many lies i'm kind of confused myself i don't know whose lie i'm telling you know totally and that's what happens when you lie for a living you you're gonna eventually get found out and it tends to come from you and you're gonna muddle who you thought you were right with all the lies you've told it's very unstable and scary for fascinating and fascinating yes <laughs> indeed because then you kind of have to build yourself up again somehow really and then there's the characters who take the mask of the shapeshifter temporarily so for a hero for example they wear the shapeshifter mask to cross a threshold wizard of oz dorothy puts on the uniform of the soldiers to go into the castle it's good stuff yeah yeah there was a gross example i thought of the other oh day <laughs> uh, walking dead when they oh, they yeah. physically like yeah. rub the like guts. dead guts and ugh, in order to walk among the zombies that's a great example that's totally shape shifting in order to cross the threshold interesting it's gross but that's another version it's not an example I would expect from you but I'm very proud I don't know how I thought of that I was like yeah but that that's it too yeah that's yeah. kind of like putting on the uniform except it's deceiving others. To be able to do what you need to do to protect yourself and move with the plot, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it definitely moves the plot forward. The villain will put on that mask to deceive the hero. It's fair. A good example, Frozen, the first the first one. The villain dude, what's his name? The one who everybody thinks is in love with the princess until he's like, just kidding. Oh. I'm one of a million brothers and I want your throne. Oh, blah, gosh. Blah, blah. I and, don't even remember a bad guy in that movie. Oh, really? <laughs> I need to rewatch it, though. So, uh, And then the last example is uh, in buddy movies. Mm-hmm. Usually one of the buddies tends to have their walls up, and they'll show a personality that protects themselves, right? Those are really interesting characters. Yeah. And I couldn't really think of one other than Han Solo, 
Mm, interesting. But I, I think most buddy movies tend to have somebody who's a little unstable. Closed off. But the point is that they, they show only personalities that they want to show. Right. There's actually a great cop buddy film with Eddie Murphy that does that. Because oh, really? he's sort of the, the extrovert and the other guy is sort of an introvert and he's got all these issues and it's Eddie Murphy's character that kind of pulls him out into the real world again. Aww. It's fun. I can't remember the name of it, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> look for Eddie Murphy movies. <sighs> I'm turning into my father. It's really <laughs> disturbing. I need to work on that too. I can't remember <laughs> names or movies anymore. And then that brings us to the psychological function of shapeshifters. This is where I got tripped up. According to Vogler and other resources, because I had to like verify, I'm like, maybe he's just making this stuff up. <laughs> they express the energy of the animus, the male energy, and the anima, the female energy. And we even had to talk about this because I hadn't heard a lot about it until this chapter. And according to Jung, the psychiatrist slash psychoanalysis, psychoanalysis. <laughs> He says people have a complete set of both male and female qualities which are necessary for survival and internal balance. And the idea is that the shapeshifter, especially in modern tales, tend to be the opposite sex of the hero because they act hmm. as their opposites. Hmm. Okay. And because the hero is intrigued by the energy they don't possess. Hmm. Okay. So for example, Indiana Jones has the damsel, whatever. Damsel in distress. <laughs> and they, they tend to be allies and they tend to serve different functions, but they're always there. They're expressing the female energy that he doesn't understand and lacks a lot of and tends to not really absorb. Anyway, whatever. And it's also just an interesting concept because it's defined by society. Mm. I mean, right? Every child born is going to be given labels because they're gender. But if we can go away from that and just think of it as energies, it, the character can be anybody, but they could have a dominant energy, female or male energy. Oh, I see. In which case they're going to seek out their opposites. Interesting. In journeys because that's, the, that's where the mystery lies. So it always kind of goes back to the feminine and the masculine. Exactly. That's okay. how we can talk about it. Masculine and feminine energy. As opposed to like race or class or like things like that, right? Yeah, those don't really... It's just the, like, the difference in sex. Exactly, exactly. So that's why shapeshifters tend to be the romantic relationships for the hero. They're projecting on each other. In a lot of cases, that's what makes the opposite sex more mysterious to us. Because when they're allied with us, then we get this trading of energies that we didn't mm. know before. So it tends to be helpful, but it also can be destructive as... He writes right here. <laughs> he puts it this way. We tend to look for people who match our internal image of our opposite sex based on our animus anime. Because of this, we project our ideals into unsuspecting people. This often causes people to rush into relationships hmm. without seeing who their partner really is and then force their partner to match this idea. Interesting. Because of this, shapeshifting is a natural part of relationships and friendships as most people don't understand their own sexuality and psychology, let alone someone else's. So people tend to see mystery and changeability Interesting. when they are partnered. Hmm. Makes sense. It's a projection in a very specific situation. Exactly. And I, thinking about it, I was like, well, that's why I think romantic drama, romantic comedy is so popular. 
because it tends to explore the, the mystery of our opposite energies. I'm not even going to say the opposite sex. I'm going to say the opposite energies, whoever yeah. you are, right? Yeah. And it also makes sense that you don't know the true loyalties until there's something big that reveals it. You either test your partner and say like, well, actually, do you really think this or are you just projecting? <laughs> That's every relationship with a therapist. If you ever have a relationship with it, that's what it's going to be. Sorry. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Never thought of that. I mean, I think it'd be great if there was a lot more self-awareness in these situations and people weren't necessarily just driven by their id. But there are certain, I think, professions where there are people who lean towards that more. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. That's an interesting <laughs> thought. You're right. Projection could go into any anybody. It's just talking about it that's the difference, I guess. Right. Agreed. Vogler also mentions two very specific types of opposite sex characters, which is the woman as temptress or destroyer. Oh the French call them <laughs> femme fatale. Of course. And that's actually the Indiana Jones example. The, the lady who's like, oh, I'm in love with you. I'm your partner. And then at the end is like, no, I'm working for the bad guy. And <laughs> it's a lot of deceit. Totally. And I'm sure she didn't have a self-identity concrete enough to say, I actually love you or don't actually love you because I'm working for myself, obviously. I feel like in history, that's what women have done to be able to be more independent. Like right? I feel like that's the most common way for a woman to to fight what's around her, especially if they're attractive. And it, I mean, they're projected as villainous, though, in these stories. Yeah. But you're right. Historically, that's not true. They had to be that way in order to gain any independence or to survive. Yeah. And that's still happening. Yeah. But we call them villains because we can't give them too much control or power. That's just stupid. <laughs> In this Indiana Jones example, it, they do depict her as pretty evil, but in general, that's not always true, which makes it a very complex character, and I think they could be written better. In any case, there's also the opposite, which is the Om Fatale. I've never heard of that. That's the male version of that. The Om Fatale? Well, it's, fatal? it's spelled H-O-M-M-E-S. Home. But it's pronounced Om Fatale. Fatal. I had to look it up. <laughs> I keep wanting to say like Fidel Castro or but I can't even. My brain is like stuttering. <laughs> so he like uses his charm or his sexuality? Absolutely. To tempt a woman. And it usually means that the the woman is the well, usually I say the woman is the hero. Right. In Romancing the Stone, for example, Michael Douglas's character, who's the, the romance, his loyalties are always shifting. We, we know he like cares about the main character, but it's not entirely clear until he's willing to sacrifice something for her, right. which is his own ego. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> if you could just see the face that she was giving. <laughs> but that was his role, right? Is to play the mystery of the opposite sex until you test it. Which is even fun. It's even more fun in that one because she's a romance writer. Right. <laughs> so it's like all the things you expect her to kind of already know to some degree. But I just love that right. aspect of right. it. Right. And as I mentioned, they could be helpful or they could be destructive. The helpful part, again, is when you do explore the energies you don't have internally, you can absorb those energies and therefore complete yourself. And hopefully it's mutual, even if they're not romantic partners, but they are the opposite energy who help you as allies. You are sharing those energies. Absolutely. And then, of course, the unhelpful being the destructive, deceitful. Yeah. 
the shapeshifters in those cases don't tend to change. They don't have a concrete self-identity by the end. Mm-hmm. It's generally the rule. Interesting. Again, it seems like a weird, a weird one, but also an interesting concept. I feel like my self-imposed homework will be to try to recognize that in my daily life and see where where that comes up for me psychologically. Absolutely. Because I think it's really interesting, even if I don't fully understand how to write it or how to recognize it in a film. Right. You know? So our classic example, Wonder Woman. The shapeshifter, I hope this is true because it works, is Steve Trevor. Because he's the, despite having a clear external goal the whole time, he's also shifting loyalties a lot because Mm. internally he doesn't know what love is. And he actually says that because during that dance scene, he's saying like, yeah, this is what people do when there's not a war. Mm -hmm. And Wonder Woman asks, well, is that what you do? And he's like, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know what it is to live a regular life. He can't even remember, which is dangerous. And that's why his loyalties are shifting when Wonder Woman tells him all of these things. And he's like, I don't know. That sounds like made up. Or I don't think that's actually the goal that we have. You know, like there's a lot of shifting from him. And because he's a spy, he tells a lot of lies. He's like a literal spy. Right. So it's like perfect. Absolutely. He doesn't have a concrete internal identity yet Mm. until we test him at the end. Self-sacrifice, right? Yeah. He's pretty resolute by then. And I think these final words are even more of a testament. It has to be me. It has to be me. I could save today. You could save the world. And Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> that's his big epiphany. And I think a moment where he's grounding his internal self. It was awesome. And he does, I forgot that he does like shift his loyalties a couple times. I mean, it's always, like you said, for a greater purpose, but he does kind of fluctuate when the men, the, the board of white men say he can't go onto the front line, you know, and then the, the, uh, there's another guy that entices him and says he'll pay for it if he wants to go. It's very seamless when you watch it, but it makes sense now when you're talking about it. That is like a shift in loyalty, even though it's still the same goal. When there is proof that there's a higher plan going on, especially when Wonder Woman reveals those truths, like, yeah, there's an actual god named Ares who might actually be a bigger problem. It takes him so long to get there, to trust her and say that that is real. Even the allies believe her before he does. Yeah, yeah. Again, it makes it it makes him the shapeshifter because he's just not getting there. He's yeah. Like, his loyalties are still very unstable. Right. I love it. That's perfect. And then our contemporary example, I wrote Terrence Mann. Aww. Even though there's not quite like a classic shapeshifter role, but I think Terrence Mann is the most wounded character. And therefore, he puts up the most walls. He puts out a very specific personality when our hero first comes to him. And it's, of course, go away. Don't ask me anything. With a bat. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) The hero's like, you're a pacifist. He's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Right, which is a sign of instability, right? He's kind of forgotten who he was. He's not sure who he is. He's not sure what he wants to be. Yeah. Hence the hero taking down those walls. Ray actually has to work really hard to say, well, I think you are still needed in the world. Can you wake up a little bit? 
and he becomes an ally and that of course helps him again reveal the things that he considers important and it brings out that writer in him again the person that cares about what's going on in the world exactly after being in such a like public figure to being a recluse absolutely yeah. he in a sense continues his journey as a hero and completes it by the end he knows what his purpose is again and he takes down all his walls and yeah it's the only way that he's able to enter the field of dreams no the <laughs> cornfield which leads us to wherever the ghost players go right <laughs> they, like if he didn't do that then he wouldn't be offered passage absolutely you have to complete your hero's journey in order to transcend into the supernatural realm which in field of dreams they call heaven right every time they cross that field boundary it's heaven for them so he's worthy at that point to cross and it's also implied that he will come back however because he is the writer yeah and as the hero he needs to bring the boon back to the people yeah so again field of dreams everybody's changing roles suddenly right. terrence man is the new hero it's yeah awesome. yeah it's very true because it does feel like a little i mean when you're in it it feels great but like it feels a little like does he die <laughs> but he like promises ray that he'll doesn't he say something about oh, you'll read about it or he says something yeah and it's like no he's literally coming back from a realm that is not in their realm <laughs> yeah that you're supposed to be dead to be able to visit exactly know? yeah which is fascinating yeah as a kid i didn't understand i thought he was dying too when yeah. i first watched it and i was young i'm like oh my god he's going to the field he's not coming back <laughs> and then finally as an adult i'm like oh wait but he says interesting that he needs to write about it which makes more sense because his journey is not complete in the ordinary world you're so smart. I didn't even know. I was just like, oh, okay, he's going to go in the field. <laughs> He'll be back. I mean, you know, whatever. That's only because I read a bunch of Joseph Campbell, so it's all clicking in my head. I feel like, no, but see, I keep thinking uh, Shoeless Joe, but I think that's because he's more of a tricky, tricky little guy than he is necessarily a shapeshifter, right? Uh-huh. As we will, oh, no, I didn't actually write him. That's a trickster. No, it was almost a really good bridge. <laughs> So that's the shapeshifter. That is the shapeshifter. Ooh. You can follow us on Twitter at Bite the Pen, or if you'd like to email us, you can reach us at bitethepen at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please tell your friends. We appreciate everyone who's listening and supporting us. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you.